July 2021. Australian teacher and expat living in the country of Georgia, Shanae Edwards, calls a friend in distress while hiking a picturesque mountain trail near her home. The call then disconnects. Shanae's body would be found the following day, robbed, raped and stabbed. Shanae Edwards's life of adventure and endless wandering came to an end while doing what she loved, spending time in nature, and the hunt was quickly on to find her killer. Primary sources for this episode include The Daily Mail, Nine News, Agenda Georgia, Seven News, The Mirror, ABC, The Age, The Herald Sun, The BBC and The Sydney Morning Herald. Hi all, welcome back to episode 143 of Unknown Passage, a podcast that tells the stories of those who have gone missing or have been murdered abroad. I hope that you're all doing well and you've had a good week. It's that time of the week again where I'm going to tell you a horrible story. I'm sorry to ruin your weekend when this will be released. Um, so before I get into this week's episode, I just want to welcome some new patrons. We've got Ashley R, Kerry Mack, Bethany rejoined us and Sherry as well. Um, funny thing that Ashley R said, she said to me that she also, uh, had a Yoko that looked a lot like my Yoko and she, she died in 2020, um, at 21 years old and she was a very chatty kitty. So it must must be a commonality in the naughty torties named Yoko. Um, so, yeah, I get so many interesting, you know, st- little stories from people um, when I message them when they join Patreon. So if you want to join the Patreon, you need to either download the app and search for Unknown Passage or you need to um, go on the website, unknownpassagepodcast.com, click the drop down to Patreon. It will take you there. Um, it's a cool little community. I post, you know, a few times a week. Uh, it's a tight, you know, nice little community. Um, so yeah, you guys really liked the, uh, Everest episodes, which was awesome. Um, because I spent a lot of time on them and was really passionate about them. Uh, the general consensus from people was they would never want to climb it ever, but I did get a cool message from, uh, listener Rick who's also a patron and he's from London and he was just talking um it was really cool email about how he trekked to base camp at one point about 10 years ago and I just thought I'd read you a tiny bit about the cold because he was doing it like in the summer months and you know on the ground it was like 33 degrees and and then I'll paint a picture of what happened next. But he also talked about, you know, flying out of Lukla is terrifying because you basically gain speed after you take off. So the plane just kind of drops out of the sky a little bit. So he wrote, quote, to get a sense of the cold, I was there in June. So that's the wet season or summer. It rained a lot at low altitude and was maybe 33 degrees. Then going up the mountain, it was drier. And as you got to over 4,000 metres, it turned to snow. Nights were bitterly cold and I didn't have a jacket, uh, which was an error. A lot of the accommodation have like sunrooms, which is just a room on the roof with a sort of greenhouse attached to it that you can sit under like lizards on a rock. I climbed up a small peak called Kalapatar at 4am to watch the sunrise. I reckon it was about minus 30 degrees. 
My water bottle froze, my camera froze, and what was probably the biggest sign of the cold was that I had these doctor's trousers that someone gave me. So they were lightweight cotton and I stood still for maybe five minutes catching my breath and they had frozen solid like they'd been crazy starched. <laughs> so yeah, maybe take a jacket when you do Everest. So speaking of patrons, um, this is a patron location request for patron Christine that I've finally gotten around to. Christine is a single mum from Ann Arbor in Michigan. And I think that gets pretty cold in winter from what I know. And um, she gave me an interesting little story when she introduced herself. She wrote to me, quote, I am the first generation of my family born in the US. My grandma was taken from her small village in the Ukraine and put into a work camp in Germany during World War II prior to being able to get out and make it to the States, unquote, uh, which is an awesome story. And, um, you know, you've got a badass grandma there. Uh, and I love hearing that. And it's one of my favourite topics or favourites, a relative term, uh, the Holocaust. And a lot of people kind of don't really think about Ukraine and uh, these parts that we'll be getting into on this episode as part of the Holocaust or even Greece or anything like that. And I've got a few uh, Holocaust episodes coming up, actually. Um, so one of Christine's choices, um, other than Ukraine, which I wasn't touching with a barge pole uh, for an episode at the moment, on top of actually not having a proper uh episode for Ukraine at the moment, so don't use that maybe at the moment, uh, was the country of Georgia. And she said, you know, because this was an ex-Soviet Union country and immediately as soon as she said Georgia, I knew without even looking at my spreadsheet of all my cases that I'd be doing Sinead Edwards' story uh, because I followed it from the pretty much the day after it happened when it hit the news, especially in Australia with Sinead being Australian. And Sinead's happy face has been smiling at me from my little app that has all the episodes that are coming up there where I put their pictures. And I planned on doing it a while back, but unfortunately, you know, uh, I had a spate of similar stories, uh, similar in the sense that you know, men who can't control themselves. I had Toy Accordingly. I had Ali Warren, um, you know, and it just happened to be all Australian women who were doing their own thing. And um, someone decided that that wasn't going to happen anymore, basically. And I was getting a bit kind of worn out from it. These stories really do wear me out. But unfortunately, it has happened since the dawn of time will continue to happen unless Elon is able to figure out how to put a chip in criminals' minds like Minority Report so that they can tell if someone's about to commit a crime and arrest them before they do it. Um, and because I believe in kind of autonomy, I don't necessarily agree with doing that. So I will continue to do stories. And if that doesn't interest you, uh, for some reason, uh, a woman being killed by a man and you think they're all the same, um, then maybe don't listen. So this was initially going to be a one-part episode, but as I kind of got into it and did my own research, I really wanted to spend time talking about Georgia, but also Sinead Edwards, because she really got short shift when it came to media coverage at the time when this happened. I don't know why some do and some don't. I think it was because she was an Australian who was killed in a country that no offense, but the media doesn't care about unless it's to do with a war. Um, honestly, like we don't get coverage when it happens in 
people go missing in West Africa. Uh, no one cares. The media. I've got a million cases on my list of obscure, obscure countries. And in this instance, it doesn't matter if you're an attractive white woman. Sinead barely got any media coverage. Um, and actually to the point where recently I decided about a month or two ago to look up whether or not the man who had been arrested, uh, spoiler alert for Sinead's murder, even though it's a solved case, and I, you know, from the outset, I'm saying that, uh, whether or not he was going to stand trial soon. And I was shocked to find the trial had already happened uh, and there had been resolution of sorts in terms of in the judicial system. And I was really shocked but impressed by the country of Georgia in a number of ways throughout researching this. But I was really disappointed that I read the news multiple times a day and I generally stay up to date with these things and I've got Google Alerts set up for certain cases um, and at no point did I know that this had happened months before. So most of the coverage came from uh, The Agenda, Georgia, which was a really good source. They're the main Georgian one. We're talking about Georgia, the country in Europe that a lot of people haven't heard of, not Georgia, the state in the US, um, and also Australian media, obviously. But unfortunately, most of the coverage was the same article replicated over and over again, all the salacious details, uh, all the kind of clickbaity, grabby details about her being on the phone and um, screaming on the phone to her friend and very little depth. And it would have taken journalists about probably two seconds to actually, you know, glance at her Instagram and realise Sinead was actually a real person with real interests and an amazing background. Um, so that's why I'm trying to make this two parts. So some elements of this case I distinctly remember from when they happened. Um, and at the time, I actually discussed it with a friend of mine. And when we get to that, I will talk about it. But seemingly those facts have been scrubbed from the internet because um, I don't know why. And maybe we'll get into it. It will be around part two. Sinead Edwards was really inspiring. She built a life that made her happy on the other side of the world from Australia and she was nomadic, she loved travel, she lived and she loved big and someone decided they didn't give a fuck about that and took it from her. The country of Georgia may be a poor developing ex-Soviet country many haven't heard of but I will say from the outset that the police and everybody involved in this not only gave Sinead's case the due diligence it deserved and Sinead the respect she deserved, but some of the details of how they actually helped the family. For a developing country, it, make, it made me feel sick that countries with more money, a higher GDP, um, more funds to do this, don't do it and offer no support for families. And yet a country like Georgia did. And I think you'll probably walk away feeling the same way. Sinead reminds me a lot of the case of Ali Warren, who I covered a few episodes back, you know, a few months back. Um, she was an Australian also from Melbourne who was a solo traveller who was killed in Mozambique while volunteering there. And I kept coming back to Ali and her story over and over again because her and Sinead, I think, would have been really good friends if they'd met. They had similar backgrounds. They lived in similar areas. Uh, they were only a few years apart. They had travelled to the same countries and volunteered in the same countries at a young age. And um, they were just really impressive girls, you know. So as we always do, let's start 
this episode with talking about the woman in question, uh, Shanae Edwards. Shanae Brooke Edwards was born around 1990 in the town of Warrnambool, which is in my state, Victoria. Melbourne's the capital of Victoria. We're at on the bottom southeastern um, point of, it's a small state uh, compared to the ones around it. Um, and Warnable is a few hours from Melbourne. I, one of my friends who has been on this podcast before, uh, who I won't name, you know, for their privacy because it's a relatively small town, <laughs> um, they are from Warnable. I've been to Warnable a number of times. It's basically at the end of the Great Ocean Road, which is a famous road that winds its way along the coast uh, and it's a few hours away and there's a lot of beautiful spots along the way and when I was a kid we used to holiday up that way because our family friends had a house along that way Um, and I went to uni with a lot of people from Warrnambool and yeah Warrnambool if you want to tie it into another case we've done actually Max Castor who I did like two years ago on this podcast he was a Swedish backpacker who may have faked his own death, may have committed suicide, we don't know. He went missing after posting all his belongings back to Sweden to his family, writing a very obscure, cryptic note. Um, He actually posted his stuff from Warnable. So if you want to go back and listen to that, we talk a bit about this area. So that's where Sinead was from. Um, Sinead was 31 years old at the time that she died. I don't have her exact birthday. It's not anywhere. But considering the GoFundMe that was later set up by her family lists, uh, quote, a precious 31 years, 10 months is all we could have, unquote, I would, I'd counted back, obviously, uh, with the help of a, uh, online application because maths is not my strong point and for some reason it broke my brain trying to figure this out which it shouldn't um it means that she was born in late september early october 1990 she had a brother tyson that she was super tight with and they always wrote on each other's instagrams and things uh and they were both musical and kind of artistic free spirits her parents have been pretty private throughout this whole ordeal, which is totally understandable. But I do know that the family was very close-knit and they were very supportive of Sinead's kind of wandering spirit. Unfortunately, most of the nice things that are said about people are never said when the person's alive and you wish that more people complimented people uh, while they are. But after Sinead died, you know, some of the words that we used to describe her by online tributes from friends were incredible, awesome, kind-hearted, one of the very, very best, full of laughter, one of the toughest women I've ever met in my life and just so much fun. One tribute after her death on um, on social media said, quote, Sinead was always up for an adventure, so kind-hearted to those around her, full of laughter and a shining light. I lack the words to fully express what I feel. However, I only have love for her. And that was from a friend called Sarah Richards. Now, Sinead's Instagram is still up, which I was incredibly grateful for. Uh, I had a bit of difficulty finding it, but thankfully some really obscure news article had a link through to it. Uh, So I had 341 posts with their captions, even though Sinead wasn't big on (laughs) writing lengthy captions, which I'll get into, um, to look at. And 
to read about her life and I really, really got into it and I went back to the very beginning of when she set up her Instagram and worked my way through and in a way that Grace Mullane also documented her life on, you know, Instagram in a similar way, not too wordy, uh, not too many selfies. It was purely about kind of the world around her. I was able to get a feel of Sinead through her own pictures, her own words. Um, there is a clip somewhere that's not on her Instagram that a couple of news stations have of Sinead talking for a few seconds, but unfortunately I can't play it for you because all the news station coverage, you've got an anchor talking over the top, um, as is the case with the media. So I've used her Instagram pretty heavily to get to know her. Um, it's something that I do wish and kept coming back to. do wish some journalists had bothered to do that even for five minutes, let alone for three hours like I did. Um, so to describe Sinead physically, she's slim, fit, which is a testament to, I guess, not only probably genetics, but also the fact that she was really outdoorsy and loved hiking, super active, but not in like a fitness nut hit the gym type way, in like a get her exercise in through just walking for hours around whatever city she was in. Um, she's got long brown hair. She's really attractive. Um, I've put up a picture of her in the Spotify episode page, uh, episode photo, if you're listening on Spotify. Um, she's just really beautiful, you know. And Sinead, basically, from what I can tell, when she was around 18, she left Warnable, which a lot of people do because it's a country town, even though it's on the coast and it's got beaches and everything. Um, a lot of people move to the big smoke, you know, Melbourne, a few hours away. Uh, and that's what my friend did. That's what a lot of people I went to uni with did as soon as they turned 18. It seems that Sinead from her LinkedIn, what I can tell is that she pretty much did this at like 18, 19. Um, because I looked at her LinkedIn and it had her education in uh, at a university in Warrnambool doing a year of youth work and then it had her in Melbourne and working as a barista or a waitress very early on you know early 20s um, at areas in Melbourne that are really not far from where I live and I wonder if I cross paths with her not just in Melbourne but it was crazy looking at her pictures, how many places I have the exact same photos from the same vantage point. Um, and I really just really felt connected to her in this weird kind of an energetic, spiritual way. So one of the jobs that Sinead had when she moved to Melbourne was she worked at the Medallion Club, which is at Marvel Stadium, one of our big um, arenas here where they have concerts and the football and things like that. It does seem though, which I mean, what can you expect from someone in their 20s? Like, <laughs> they're just doing it to make ends meet, to get by in an expensive city. But it seems like Sinead was just putting some money aside to get a qualification, like in teaching English as a foreign language, a TEFL qualification, as well as to travel the world, you know, and to get out. And that seems to be the central tenet of who Sinead was. She loved travel. Uh, she travelled and worked all over the world. She was in Colombia for a couple of years teaching English, and it seems, from some of her Instagram captions that she spoke pretty decent Spanish. And she seemed to pick up languages really quickly. Um, she went skiing and did a ski season in Canada. 
uh, I pretty much went through her Instagram chronologically. Uh, and it was when she was in Colombia, that's when she first started teaching children English, which would become her main passion in terms of a vocation. Um, and it was, she was able to combine the two great loves, you know, travel and, you know, teaching English, which is an in-demand job. Now through my job, I have a client that kind of works in this sphere and I've taught English as well. Now, each country you go to, it depends on the country and their visa regulations and a lot of different things, whether or not they require a bachelor's degree in order to teach English. Some require that and a TEFL qualification, which can be achieved in just a couple of months. You can do them online. And I think it's a priceless thing. Um, I had one once upon a time. I think it's outdated now. And some countries require just a TEFL qualification and some jobs if you're a private tutor or in kind of non-state schools, I guess, um, and some require nothing, um, depending on kind of, I guess, how third world these countries are. Um, so from what I can tell, Sinead didn't have a bachelor's degree, but she had uh, probably a TEFL qualification because where she ended up teaching in Georgia, looking into it, uh, they require a number of things, which I'll get into. So the best way really to support herself while doing this was to teach English. It's in demand across the world. You can do it wherever you are. Uh, I know people who have made a career out of it. Uh, English is an in-demand thing that people want to learn, not just for business, but uh, for education and um, you know, there's a lot of countries where it's very scarcely spoken and you'll be, you know, in hot demand. And Georgia is one of these places where you're not, it's not a saturated market of English teachers like a, a lot of countries, particularly in Western Europe are. Uh, so that's what Sinead did. Now, another thing that Sinead loved, which she was able to combine with her love of travel was hiking. And you can tell from her Instagram, wherever she went, she generally wasn't a city girl. She generally went to these kind of out of the way places. A lot of them you wouldn't have even heard of and I hadn't heard of uh, to find, you know, the best mountain trails and the best hiking trails or the best beaches. Uh, she really liked the natural world and she was like Ali Warren, I guess, a, a bit of a, a bit of a boho hippie chick, it seems, from her pictures. Um, one police document refers to her as a pro hiker and seemingly she was pretty fit. Now, she was also an expert motorbike rider and it seems that she had like a motorbike license and this is one that comes into play no matter what country she's in on her Instagram. She rents a motorbike. At one point, I think she buys a cheap one in Southeast Asia, which you can do, um, and she gets around on that, which is really popular in Southeast Asia, obviously. Um, and she seemed to meet people wherever she went because her Instagram is very few selfies. I'm talking three in 341 posts. Um, they're all obscure, kind of amateur, candid pictures of people she's met or just sites that kind of captivate her, churches, temples, um, beaches, sunsets, uh, strange plants, uh, stray animals. Uh, she really loved animals and she really had a soft spot, which I really related to, particularly in East, um, Southeast Asia, for the stray cats 
and this will come into play later when she moves to Georgia um, as well. She's not the centre of attention in her Instagram photos. Uh, she doesn't seem high maintenance at all. It's a lot of beautiful scenery, architecture, just daily life, tuk-tuks, rickshaws, things that she sees, uh, and very limited captions. Some of them don't even have captions. And the ones that do, it's just a few words. Um, so her Instagram starts in early 2015 in New Zealand with photos of a raging ravine and then lots of beaches back in Australia, greenery. Uh, in 2017, she goes to Colombia and then for a time she's teaching there and she kind of goes off Instagram and comes back when something's been going on. Uh, and then she's in the Mojave Desert in, um, in the United States at one point for a little trip. Didn't seem to go to LA or anything, um, was just out in the Mojave. Um, then she's back in Colombia and she's traveling all over. She goes to Medellin and it's just picture after picture of street art and a lot of them very blurry. Uh, I don't think she was, she's like me, she's like probably wasn't great at photography in terms of the artistic aspects of it. She just kind of captured what she liked. Uh, and then Sinead rents a motorbike on it and she's suddenly in Serbia and she's island hopping around the islands of Croatia. She goes to Montenegro, Bosnia. Uh, she really had a love for Eastern Europe, uh, which unfortunately is where she would lose her life. She always seemed to be seeking new hiking and beach spots. And then she goes to Switzerland and to Germany. She's in Berlin visiting a friend that she's met on her travels. She goes to Warsaw in Poland. And then she goes back to Serbia and she's in Zagreb. Then she goes to Austria and then she goes to Budapest. And in one of kind of the rare captions that she writes, she describes Budapest as, quote, a never-ending treasure hunt, unquote. And then she heads to London for a short trip in September 2018 and then she's suddenly back in Cambodia in Southeast Asia where she would teach English and this is where I really connected with her because obviously I did that except it seems that she fell in love with Phnom Penh which is the capital of Cambodia. Uh, listen to the Sean Flynn Dana Stone episodes if you want to learn about Cambodia. Um, she's got many of the same photos as me. It was actually kind of freaking me out a little bit, um, just random photos in the same places from the same vantage points. Uh, she's got pictures of the different uh, textures of fabrics that are sold in the Russian market, which is this big market in Phnom Penh. Uh, I do not have pictures of that. I actually threw up in the Russian market, um, which is a whole other story. Um, she has pictures of her sitting. I know exactly where she was sitting because I've got the exact same picture. She would have been sitting on this kind of uh, stone wall overlooking Taprom Temple, which is in Angkor Wat. Uh, and then she goes to the area of Kampot for a little while. And she just clearly loved Cambodia so much. And I really connected with her in that way because I understand why it's so intoxicating and she even got an apartment in Phnom Penh uh, which is what I did in Siem Reap um, albeit we were a few years apart um, I did it about kind of eight years before before Sinead but there was that kind of that connection there 
Sinead did not announce, do big announcements or clickbaity shit on Instagram uh, or give context or feel like she had to in terms of where she was or why she was doing whatever. Uh, clearly, she just had the Instagram to document it for herself. She wasn't trying to impress anyone. Uh, and she never kind of said, this is who this person is or this is why I'm here. And I really liked that about her. Um, her photos are really colourful and really about living, about textures, about uh, architecture, about how people live. Um, and if you want to look up her Instagram, it is shanae.b. Uh, it took me a while to find that. I was so into her photos and searching through them that I, my phone died and I didn't even realise that it was on 1% um, until it died and I was like, God, because I was in like a chronological order working my way through <laughs> and lost quite a lot of notes I'd made. Then she goes to Thailand and she goes to Bangkok and it seems that she really loved temples in Thailand. There's a million, you know, uh kind of Buddhist temples. Uh, I've never seen so many. It was a dizzying array of, of temples <laughs> that she'd been to, uh, Chiang Mai, Bangkok. Um, there was one photo in Bangkok that she took, which is kind of like this little hidden canal that's right in the heart of Bangkok. And a friend who was from Bangkok wrote asking how she finds these places because even the friend who lived there and knew it well didn't even find these places. And Sinead replied in kind of a cheeky way to her reply, quote, I've had a lot of practice fine-tuning the art of wandering, unquote, which I kind of paraphrased in my intro because I really liked it so much. Um, she writes one of the few things she kind of goes into depth about in a reply to a friend is the story of different street cats that she comes across seeming to feed them, which is, you know, a lot of us do that. Uh, I know patrons do that I talk to. Um, I always end up doing that. I spent a fortune the last time I was in Thailand doing it. Um, it's one of the things that kind of wear, wear me down about that area um, because there's just so much suffering in terms of our four-legged friends. Um, and she kind of details their little stories uh, in replies to friends. And then she goes to Malaysia and she goes to the island of Langkawi. And so she's in Asia all up for about until 2020, the start of 2020, she goes back to Thailand. Uh, she is in Chiang Mai. Now, with the teaching thing, she was doing a combination wherever she was of teaching in schools, which is a really easy job to get in these parts of the world, um, as well as teaching online. So just because you're in Thailand and you're an English teacher doesn't mean you're teaching Thai people. You could have students that you do Zoom courses with that are in France, if you get what I mean. And that's one of the benefits and perks of this kind of job. So then all of a sudden in January 2020, Sinead suddenly appears in the capital city of Georgia, Tbilisi. Now, this caused me so much panic, the name of this place. I've watched probably 30 people say it. Now, Apparently in the, in Georgia, they pronounce it with the T silent, but then no one else backed that up. One woman said when she lived there, she realised soon enough you say Belisi, but all the news coverage, all of the um, YouTube guides of experts going there and, you know, talking and stuff like that, they all say Tbilisi and a guy online said it is phonetically Tbilisi or Tbilisi. So I will be 
saying it one of those ways. <laughs> um, she she doesn't give an explanation, but it seems that she's kind of fallen in love with Eastern Europe and she's just living her life and she doesn't have to, she doesn't have any responsibilities. She doesn't have an address. Uh, she can do what she wants. And it seems that her early days in Tbilisi were just wandering, which is what she said she did a lot of hours a day in different places. Uh, Sinead was captivated by the street art. She loved the Georgian script, the Georgian language, and I'd never seen it before because I didn't know a whole lot about Georgia. I just knew it was a country and it was ex-Soviet, and I learned so much researching this. Um, and their, their script, the way it's written, is really captivating and a friend kind of writes to her, are you going to learn Georgian now? And she kind of says something back to tongue in cheek, like, I've only been here a month or two. Give me a, give me a chance to learn it and I will, uh, kind of thing. So this is a good time to talk about Georgia, the country. So where the hell and what the hell is Georgia? Because many people don't even know it's a country. And actually, if you go on Google Maps and you scroll out a little bit, all the names of the countries around it remain because they're larger, but Georgia's so small that the name disappears, <laughs> if you get what I mean. Georgia is a mountainous country that sits at the point where Asia and Europe meet, kind of to give it a comparison to in the general area. It's kind of got the same situation as Turkey does, and that's that's near it. It was once part of the Soviet Union, so you've got Armenia and Azerbaijan to the south of Georgia, you've got Turkey to the southwest, you've got Ukraine to the northwest, and you've got Russia to the north. To its east is the Caspian Sea, and if you cross the Caspian Sea, you get Turkmenistan and Kazakhstan. Um, so Georgia is a nation of around... 3.5 million people and its capital is uh, the bane of my existence, Tbilisi. It's a really clunky word, uh, Tbilisi. So a third of its population live in the capital, Tbilisi, um, and Georgian Orthodox is the main religion, which is an offshoot of Eastern Orthodox, <clears throat> not Latvian Orthodox like um, George Costanza converted to for a woman who dumped him. The official language of Georgia is actually Georgian, um, but a lot of them speak Russian. And the next one is like a dialect, which is Abkhaz. Now, Georgia is about the size, if you want to compare it to somewhere, which I looked it up because I wanted to know it's about the size of the Republic of Ireland, and it's a little bit smaller than the US state of South Carolina. So it's a very small place, but its landscape is so varied and diverse. It's actually one of kind of the most diverse places in the world purely because of where it's positioned between Asia and Europe. Its landscape is kind of bordered by mountain ranges on the north and the south parts of it. Um, they call this area the Caucasus. Um, there's the Caspian Coast and then you've got lakes, volcanoes, hot springs, rivers. You've got a lot of the area is covered in forest and you've also got like subtropical rainforests in parts of Georgia as well. And its climate is one of the most diverse in the world for a very small country because of its location. The mountain regions of the north basically protect the country 
from the harsh winters that places above it like Ukraine and Russia suffer from, even though it does get cold but not as cold as up there, while the southern mountain ranges protect against the heat that's coming up from countries like Turkey and Iran and Saudi Arabia. So parts are subtropical, others are really hot and dry, and then you've got other parts that are snow-capped a lot of the year. So Georgia is rapidly becoming an expat favourite, not only because of its low cost of living, especially if you're existing on a foreign um, income, which uh, I was recently kind of researching this for work and uh, it's one of the countries that are looking at getting a digital nomad visa, uh, which is for freelancers or digital nomads to go and live there, but you're working for businesses that are not based in Georgia. They're overseas, which is awesome, and so many countries are coming on board with that. But it's also, its GDP is rapidly growing, its tourism is rapidly growing, and the World Bank actually says that it's one of the best places for business opportunities in the world at the moment in terms of running a business from there. And I reckon you'll end up finding that much like places like Serbia ended up being places that Hollywood would film movies because of the low cost. Initially it was Prague and then it was Serbia. I reckon eventually they're going to start using Georgia Um just because of the, not just the landscape, but the the business opportunities, the general freedom of being able to do that there um, and the general ease of achieving like a visa or a business, a business visa. But like many countries in this region, Georgia has a tumultuous history, obviously being an ex-Soviet kind of nation. So Georgia's inhabitation goes back to around 13th century BC or what is now known as Georgia. And over the centuries, Georgia has been fought over by Persia, which is now Iran, Turkey and Russia. And this stuff's been going on for centuries and there still is a lot of conflict about Georgia. Um, Ultimately, in 1879, Russia annexed Georgia um, as part of Russia. And Maybe the most well-known person to come out of Georgia is Joseph Stalin, who was born in, you know, what was then considered part of Russia, but is actually Georgia. He was born in the town of Gori, G-O-R-I. Now, the Russian Revolution, by the way, this is all from the BBC. They did a really good breakdown of, like, kind of the history of Georgia recently. The Russian Revolution of 1918, which we talked about on the Alexei Navalny episodes in depth. So if you want to know anything about Russia and everything I'm talking about, refer to those episodes. That saw Georgia declare its own independent state in the kind of hullabaloo, I've never used that word, but I just did, um, of outing the Tsar and Nicholas and his family and that, um, they declared their own independent state. Uh, but that didn't last very long because with Lenin and the Red Army coming in, just a few short years later in 1921, uh, Georgia was absorbed back into what became the Soviet Union. And then as a result of that, obviously decades of conflict emerged between Georgia and Russia, but also Georgians in a particular region in the south called Ossetia and this region has been hotly contested. It's kind of like the Donbass area of Ukraine that they fight over. They've got a similar situation in Georgia where basically the people in the Ossetia region of the south in Georgia want their own kind of 
independence um, and the rest of Georgia doesn't want them to have that. By 1991, after the fall of the Soviet Union, Georgia officially was able to secede from the Soviet Union and they had a referendum, basically, which was a resounding yes to becoming their own nation. So basically, flash forward to 2008 and Georgia had its own kind of almost mini civil war uh, because Ossetia, which I talked about earlier, the the southern region, uh, which is kind of contested, had kind of broken away. And as a result of that, Russian forces basically had to come into Georgia uh, and they evicted Georgia's forces from this particular region. So this kind of stuff is still going on. It's a similar situation, as I said, to what's happening um, in Ukraine, the parts of Ukraine that kind of Russia contests. So this kind of continues on and I've, I found some really interesting stuff kind of about um, about their government and things like that that didn't surprise me. Now, Georgia wants to join NATO, but it's a really long, complex situation, much like Ukraine has kind of figured out. Uh, It generally takes uh, 10 to 20 years from application of doing it, but Georgia is not currently um, in NATO and it's not part of the European Union. Um, It's basically at the moment, Georgia is a representative democratic parliamentary republic. And in short, a few years back, the presidency, because they've got a president and a prime minister, The president's powers, from what I could understand, were rapidly kind of diminished and it became a ceremonial post. Uh, So in short, they took the election of the president away from the public and I don't understand why or how. Um, And it has to go to an electoral college who then votes for the president. Now, it seems to me like it's like a lot of other countries who have a president and a prime minister, which I've always found is a weird thing, that the prime minister seems to have more power and the president is kind of just a figurehead. Georgia does have its own constitution and it actually does allow for freedom of speech. And so they've got quite a lot more press freedom than Ukraine or or Russia, uh, which I was evident to me even before I knew that fact just from the coverage of this case within Georgia that it even existed. So in 2003, Georgia had what was called the Rose Revolution, which is basically it was named because a bunch of demonstrators stormed the government carrying roses, like, as part of their, their, um, I guess, Cold War there. So it was what's classified as a non-violent change of power in Georgia. And this happened in November 2003. It was basically forced, the hand was forced to change the government because there were massive protests across Georgia in terms of a number of things. Uh, Corruption within the government, surprise, surprise, within the police and parliamentary elections that Georgians maintained were tampered with, uh, surprise, surprise. And this culminated in the resignation of the then president, whose name I, Shevard Nadzi, I'm going to go with. And so this was kind of 
good in a number of ways because it brought these things to the surface, but it also brought the issues to the surface and made it more transparent. Um, but it it kind of ended this deeply entrenched corruption that people felt had been ongoing uh, since they basically left the Soviet Union. So one of the demonstrators was a very vocal uh budding politician called Mikhail Saakashvili and he actually became president as a result of the Rose Revolution. Now, <laughs> I was reading before I read that fact um, that an ex-president um, had been forced into exile in 2013 for corruption um, and when I looked up who it was, it was this guy. So in short, the Rose Revolution was because of corruption and one of the main demonstrators against the corruption was Mikhail Saakashvili and then he ended up being super corrupt. Surprise, surprise. So but what he did between coming in in like 2003 and then going into exile in 2013 until last year uh, was he got the entire police force, uh, which was about 30,000 police sacked. They all lost their jobs in 2005 and it was because of widespread internal corruption within the Georgian National Police. And then they built up the police again with new recruits and less corruption. Now, then he became corrupt, according to most sources, and he went into exile in another country, which I couldn't find the answer to, in 2013. And then he was there for eight years. And in 2021, just last year, Mikhail returned to Georgia and he was arrested and he's currently, like, pending trial. Now, is Georgia poor? Yes, it is classified as a developing country, but each year its GDP improves and there's less and less poverty every year. Funny fact, it was actually one of the first countries in the world to legalise cannabis, which really surprised me, and it was the only former socialist state to do so to this day. Now, the World Bank has called Georgia, quote, the number one economic reformer in the world, unquote, because in just one year, uh, it has gone from 112th in terms of ease of doing business there in the world to 18th. So if you're looking at opening a business uh, somewhere cheaper than, say, Australia or the United States or the UK, uh, consider a move to Georgia. Um, according to Geostats, basically in 2001, so about 21 years ago, the number of people that in Georgia that lived below the poverty line was 54% of Georgians. And that was before a lot of expats came and lived there. But by 2006, just five short years later, that number had decreased to 34%. And by 2015, it was down to 10.1%, which is a lot of progress uh, because, you know, local Georgians are able to reap the benefits of a free market. In fact, it's so, even though it used to be a bit more dangerous, obviously, with a decrease in poverty comes a decrease in crime. And Georgia today, according to the National International Crime Index, is one of the safest countries in the world. It is incredibly rare to have a murder or something here, especially of a tourist, which is what makes Sinead Edwards' story 
even more tragic. It is ranked currently as the seventh safest country in the world as of 2017, which is incredible. So I looked up whether they have guns in Georgia and they do, but gun reform is getting tighter and tighter. Uh, People are allowed to own one. Um, According to the agenda, Georgia, as it stands at the moment, quote, under the new rules, Georgian citizens over the age of 21 will have the right to purchase sporting gas and dwarf guns. And those who want to purchase, keep or carry a gun will be obliged to pass an exam about weapon safety and rules of owning a firearm, unquote. So, That's all new to them before you could just go in and buy one. And maintaining this reputation of being a very safe, rapidly developing country that is good to move to and good to do business in um, is very important in maintaining this reputation because tourism, as a result, has now become a booming economy in Georgia and it contributes around $2 billion annually uh, to the local economy. So it's huge. Almost 9 million tourists a year now go to Georgia each year to visit. And just five years before that statistic, which was around 2019, uh, five years before that in 2014, it was only 3 million. So it tripled its international visitors in the space of, you know, six years um, or five years. As a result of that, obviously, hotels have popped up. Um, things are more geared towards tourism. Policing has has really been improved. And the transport network has been heavily invested in. And so has the road network. So it's it's quite easy to get around. And they've got a very good public transport system, particularly in the cities, including Tbilisi. The currency in Georgia is the Georgian Lari. And I like to look up how much these places cost to live in, especially if you're an expat living there who's not necessarily earning local currency, but you're earning uh, a foreign currency if you've got an online business or something. And the cost of living in Georgia is still incredibly low for those, you know, existing there on a foreign income, you could kind of live like a king for a very low amount. Um, According to Numbio, a single person's estimated monthly costs without rent are around 700 uh, US dollars or five to 700 US dollars. Tbilisi, the capital, is located in kind of the southern region, southeastern region of Georgia. And according to Numbio, Tbilisi is 52.15% less expensive than the city of Sydney, Australia. <laughs> uh, yeah, Sydney is one of the most expensive places in the world. So is Melbourne. Um, so in Tbilisi, a city centre, one bedroom, really nice apartment will set you back about $600 US a month. Uh, if you go a little bit further out, you can get them for around 400 a month. Um, And you can also go further out than that if you live more rurally or, you know, even an hour outside of Tbilisi and commute in. Uh, That's if you don't work online or whatever. You can get a one-bedroom apartment for $250 a month. Um, Tbilisi is an ancient city and it is regularly listed in the top 50 rankings of the most beautiful cities in the world. And when you look at pictures of it, it's just... It's really beautiful. Um, I'm not really good at explaining architecture or anything like that, but it has the reputation of being called, quote, the world's most bohemian city. 
National Geographic did a piece on Tbilisi a couple of years ago by a woman called Tara Burton, and I thought I would read you her introduction to her article, which will paint a picture of this, you know, incredible ancient city that seems to be having a really good fusion of the ancient and the modern. Quote, few cities are as gleefully chaotic as Tbilisi, the capital of the Black Sea nation of Georgia. A one-time Silk Road capital, the sprawling city of 1.1 million is as eclectic as it is dynamic. The old town, also called Kala, with its traditional pastel houses and wooden balconies, flows seamlessly into the Art Nouveau neighbourhood of Sololaki, where every ezo or courtyard seems to reveal a new speakeasy bar or tucked away cafe. You can spend the day hitting the museums and theatres housed in the impressive neoclassical architecture along Rostavelli Avenue or spend your nights dancing until dawn at powerhouse nightclubs like Bassiani, located underneath the historic soccer stadium. While the city is small enough to be covered in a weekend, its architectural eclecticism, thriving restaurant and bar scene and wealth of cultural offerings make it worth a much longer stay, unquote. And this is where Sinead Edwards found herself living in a little apartment all of her own at the beginning of 2020. I found a really good collection of quotes um, after Sinead's death from a friend of hers called Lena Darnay and and I really liked them because she knew she knew Sinead in Tbilisi and, and could kind of paint a picture of um, how she lived her life up until her death in the city. Um, according to Lena, Sinead very quickly settled into a great life that she loved in Tbilisi uh, as an English teacher. And, and Lena said that she had two teaching jobs. One was an online teaching job and one was in person uh, in Tbilisi teaching English. Uh, her students apparently loved her and she was a dedicated teacher. And I looked up the what you need to teach English in Georgia and it's actually a bit stricter than what I thought it would be for a developing country. Um, you need a bachelor's degree or a really solid TEFL qualification with a kind of registration you have to do before you get there and an online test and things like that. Unfortunately, like with many people across the world, not long after Sinead um, got to Georgia and was ready to explore the country, um, lockdowns happened. This was the beginning of, of 2020. So she only had a month or two in Tbilisi before all this happened and she was kind of confined to her apartment for a bit. Um, and she posted on the 7th of April 2020 a rare selfie on her Instagram uh, and she wrote the caption, let me outside, I don't want to have to resort to posting a shameless selfie, um, unquote, and then the hashtag wantawanda. Um, so from what I can find, it wasn't too bad in Georgia in terms of lockdowns. Uh, she could kind of walk around Tbilisi and things like that, but it did cut short or change the plans of a budding romance that she had, which I'll get into more on part two uh, with a man that was planning on coming to Georgia to be with her. Uh, and so she was basically on her own and social activities were kind of 
come to a standstill. So all of these things that were going to integrate her into life in Tbilisi were kind of taken away from her. But it does seem that she took it in her stride. Um, she spent a lot of time walking around for months during lockdown. Um, and then summer rolled around and it seemed that she was able to spread her wings a little bit more in Georgia and head to some areas outside of Tbilisi. And so most of her final kind of 18 months of her life was spent in Tbilisi and then travelling to more out-of-the-way places in Georgia, national parks that were super lush and green. Her pictures are incredible, uh, big lagoons and waterfalls. You wouldn't expect to see this landscape that they have there. I was I was really shocked. And then, you know, down to the Caspian Sea, she's got pictures down there sitting on the sand. Um, according to Lena, um, another Lena, <clears throat> another friend there, must be the most common name in, in Georgia, uh, quote, she loved Georgia and Tbilisi a lot. She didn't plan to move soon. She was hoping to spend at least a few more years in Georgia, unquote. She also went on to say, quote, she absolutely adored the charm of old Georgian houses that you can find somewhere in the villages. She was talking about how awesome it would be to live in a Georgian village somewhere where nature is lush, birds are chirping and not many people around. She enjoyed people's company and having lunch with friends, unquote. And yeah, half of her Instagram pictures, almost all of them are exactly what Lena just said. These kind of out-of-the-way village houses, and I think if she'd lived, that's what she'd be doing right now, which is a sad thought to have. And then winter rolls around, and on her Instagram, she goes to kind of snow-capped mountains that make, you know, for great photos, she's in the snow. Um, and then that's over, and she kind of when she finds a place she really likes, she posted a lot and then she'd go quiet for a couple of months when not much was going on. She was just working. And then she, it was May again and 2021 and summer was rolling around and uh, the sun came out and the country was incredibly green and it seemed that Sinead loved that warmer weather and that's what she lived for. One of the saddest things other than obviously Sinead's murder um, in this story was that Sinead, when she got to Tbilisi, um, she, like in Southeast Asia, Georgia and these parts suffer with a big stray cat problem and you get that in a lot of developing countries and stray dogs as well. And basically Sinead had taken in a pregnant mother cat who was hanging around her apartment block and despite only having kind of her own little apartment, she took her in because she didn't want her to give birth, you know, out in the cold. And she'd had four little baby kittens and um, they were all still in Sinead's care. So she currently had five cats that she was looking after. And according to Lena, she loved these little babies and their mum and uh, she was going to find them like good homes with fellow expats and um, she would pull all-nighters looking after these kittens and, you know, it, it was just, yeah, I just really loved that about her because that's something I, I would like to do or I would do. She also loved Georgia for its hiking and outdoor lifestyle and because it's such a mountainous country and she loved hiking, it was ideal for Sinead. According to Lena, she would often be up at 5am to walk or hike and now it was summer and she could do that to her heart's content. 
Sinead's final photo was posted to Instagram on July 29th, 2021. She and an unnamed friend from the area, because by this point she'd met lots of expats and locals that she was friends with who loved her, um, they, it's a picture of her friend on his motorbike with Sinead's in front of it. And it's got this rugged forest backdrop behind it. And the caption simply reads, joy. And in just one day, Sinead would be dead. Friday, July 30th, 2021, Sinead Edwards finished up work around mid-afternoon and she decided to do one of her favourite things, which was to go for a hike, but she wasn't going far. It was She was going to <laughs> a mountain which is in the centre of Tbilisi, which the name of it also gives me anxiety to say because they like putting two, word, two letters together there that just don't come naturally to me. But according to pronouncekiwi.com with lots of different versions of people saying this, it's Mount Matatsminda. So that's how I'm saying it. It's M-T-A-T-S-M-I-N-D-A. So she left home around 3.35pm. It may seem kind of late to be starting a hike, but it's also right near her place. It's a really busy hiking trail and it's summer. So she was probably going to enjoy the sunset there and go hiking for a couple of hours and come back. Sinead was last seen on CCTV footage wearing all black, uh, kind of athleisure wear, carrying a green bag and her hair was tied up in a ponytail. Now, Sinead was sighted at the starting point of the hiking trail of Mount Matatsminda, which is opposite a church called the Mikhail of Tver Church. Um, and this is about a 15-minute walk to the starting point from her home, which was pretty much right in the heart of George uh, Tbilisi. So Mount Matatsminda is located right in the heart of the city and borders the Kura River. Mount Matatsminda is known as the Holy Mountain in Georgia. It is only 740 metres high, which is, to be fair, 2,500 uh, feet. And it's a really good day trip that most visitors to Tbilisi do because it's right there in the middle of the city. Looking at pictures of it and watching videos, because I watched a really good uh, tour that took the funicular up, it kind of reminds me of uh, the Hollywood Hills kind of backdrop of the city, uh, especially the look out from it, you know, where you've got a city, but then you've got these kind of rugged hiking trails and things like that, where there's always people on them. You can hike up uh, on the kind of dedicated walking trails uh, or you can take the funicular or you can actually get a bus up the mountain. Now, there are lots of little hidden sites up the hike. There's little monuments and there's a pantheon, there's a church, there's a really nice restaurant, but the piece de resistance of it is actually at the top of Mount Matatsminda is Matatsminda Park, which is a theme park located on the top of the mountain. And it has a famous Ferris wheel, which is kind of part and parcel of the Tbilisi cityscape. And it also has water slides and rides. It's no um, Universal Studios, like trust me, <laughs> looking at pictures of it, but it's a family-friendly outing and you can get the best views of Tbilisi from the top of Mount Matatsminda. So people were on the trail. It was Friday afternoon. It was summer. And then things turn bad. 
About an hour after she left home while she was hiking the trail, a friend who lives in Los Angeles, who Shanae knew from her travels, received a phone call out of the blue from Shanae. Uh, now, I don't know why she would receive the call and I have had kind of thought about this and I'll get more into my th- theories of things, even though this is a mostly solved case in part two. Uh, but basically her phone rang and according to early reports that were out at the time that this happened, they were talking and then Shanae started having an altercation with somebody on the other end of the line. But from what I can find in later reports, as information became more confirmed, Shanae actually called this friend as she was either actively being attacked or as she knew she was in imminent danger. Um, Now, I don't know why she didn't call a local friend. It may have just been the first person that came to mind. Uh, I'm not entirely sure, but I've also thought maybe it was an accidental dial or the first person that she thought of, I can't tell you. Um, So according to most reports, uh, Shanae was basically telling the person on the other end of the line who she was having this altercation with, please just let me go. Okay. Just let me go. Um, unquote. And then the phone call was disconnected and the friend was obviously freaked out, the one in LA. Uh, and according to reports from Australia's Herald Sun newspaper, when Sinead's friend got the phone call and the phone call cut out and she heard what she heard, she called police and it doesn't say who, probably, um, local police in Tbilisi and she reported this and according to the Herald Sun she was ignored with this initial phone call to the police um that they were kind of like well we don't know where she is and are you sure you heard what you heard kind of thing now I I think that they did after this massive incident which I don't think would have changed anything um they did an amazing job after this but this could have obviously been handled better so that night, uh, Shanae had Friday night plans with friends in Tbilisi and when she didn't show and they could not reach her, they alerted police because Shanae was reliable. Uh, she was also looking after the kittens and their mum. Uh, she wasn't at home and this is obviously going to send, you know, alarm bells because she's got to be there to feed them. Don't worry, guys. Um, her friends, you know, pretty much immediately came into bat and found homes, you know, for those cats. Um, But the friends didn't just rest on their laurels. Sinead's friend in Tbilisi, Natalia, wrote on her social media, quote, SOS help. Friend is missing in Tbilisi. Everyone who lives in Tbilisi, please come tomorrow 7am and later, unquote. And by this stage, it was nighttime, it was dark, and the mountain is in the middle of the city, looming over the city. And they know she may be up there, but they also know that she could be anywhere just because she had plans to go for a hike there doesn't mean something didn't befall her somewhere, somewhere else. The following morning, um, as the sun rose over a summer day in Georgia on July 31st, 2021, just 13 months ago from when I'm recording this, Shanae's body was found on Mount Tbilisi. We don't know who found her, but I actually think it was the police um, because they had gone out pretty early and 
started searching kind of the hiking trails and Shanae really wasn't that far off the main hiking trail that goes to the top of Mount Tbilisi, um, Mount <laughs> Matatsminda. Um, Shanae's body was found thrown away like garbage, uh, just off a narrow walking trail on the mountain uh, that she loved so much that was part of her new city. Early reports at the time said that Shanae was strangled, but it was very apparent very quickly, and this was corrected in later reports that Shanae had been stabbed to death. She was stabbed 13 times, including one devastating one in her neck. Shanae had also been robbed, although they've never stated exactly what was stolen from her, but I believe it was her probably her wallet and her phone or just her bag, um, and she had been raped as well, um, and she had seemingly been dragged off the narrow walking trail uh, that heads up the mountain, and you can look at pictures of this very easily online. It's very rugged, kind of bushland on either side of the hiking trail, and this was very brazen. It was the middle of the afternoon. People were on the trail. And in part two, I'll kind of talk about the early reports that I remember reading about and discussing with a friend and this kind of bystander effect. But she was dumped in a ravine just off the pedestrian trail, almost at the top of Mount Matatsminda, almost close to the famous ferry, Ferris wheel attraction that I talked about uh, that so many people kind of go to every day. And all that Shanae had achieved, saw all her stories, her experiences, everyone she'd ever loved and everything she ever loved had been taken away from her um, in an instant. And that's where I'm going to leave it for part one. Um, I will be back probably tomorrow with part two, uh, the resolution to this, because at least we have one. Um, although it's it's not, you know, it will never kind of change anything and it just should never have happened. Uh, I'll put up Shanae's episode page on unknownpassagepodcast.com so you can look at some pictures of her. Um, and I'll put up the guide that I watched to Mount Matatsminda. It's the funicular trip up so you can kind of see uh, the layout of this place. Um, yeah, join the Patreon if you'd like to give to the PayPal if you enjoy the podcast. It's unknownpassagepodcast at gmail.com is the PayPal email address. Um, and I'll be back with part two most likely tomorrow. Um, yeah, I hope that you have a good weekend and and maybe, you know, the best way to honour Sinead would be to get outside and kind of, uh, you know, enjoy the great outdoors and I'll be back then.